Am I on? Yeah, there we go. All right. Right after that, I can't wait to hear what I'm going to say. That sounds exciting. Wow. <laughs> sounds amazing. Well, hey, I'm going to, uh, I figured, you know, you'd be getting a lot of the how-tos and evangelism and stuff like that. And so I, I kind of want to do two things. I want to talk about the gospel that Jesus preached. I want to talk about how you can share that same gospel in two words. How's that sound? Everyone can remember two words. You're going to memorize a gospel presentation today. It's two words. And then uh, I'm going to help you write your testimony. So we're kind of a five-minute version and a one-minute version. Just kind of how you, how you can tailor it to whoever you're talking to. Sound good? All right, we're going to do it all in 15 minutes. Just kidding. All right, here we go. So, um, yeah, well, hey, good luck taking notes here, but we'll, uh, we'll just go for it. So uh, what was the gospel that Jesus preached? Here's what I want to do. I'm going to read you from Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. I'm going to kind of do a rapid succession of scriptures. I really want you to get the point here, and uh, you'll see why here in a second. So here's Mark chapter 1. This is uh, Mark's summary of what Jesus' message was. After John was put into prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. The gospel, the good news, was that the kingdom of God had come near. And uh, once Jesus chose his disciples, he gave them one message to communicate. Here was the one message. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. He sent his disciples out on a preaching mission. And um, uh, here's, here's what it was. When Jesus had called his 12 disciples together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God. There's a pattern here. I want you to see this. This was the one message that Jesus had, was the message of the kingdom of God. After Jesus rose from the dead, he gathers his followers together. He spoke to them about one topic, Acts 1-3. He appeared to them, this was after his resurrection, over a period of 40 days and spoke to them about the kingdom of God. In the very last chapter in the book of Acts, this is the last picture we have of the apostolic church uh, from the book of Acts, Paul is proclaiming one truth. It says, boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God. If you were to summarize the message of the gospel in just one phrase, what would that one phrase be? It would be the I believe there's been a fundamental misunderstanding about the gospel in our day. I believe that people have gotten this idea that Jesus' gospel, that his good news is primarily about how to get to heaven when you die. We've got diagrams drawn this, and this is what's going to happen and all this stuff. It's primarily about the after-death type of thing, which means you just have to wait for it to happen. The gospel has been completely disconnected from our everyday life. It's all about souls and depopulating hell to populate heaven. Like, I mean, is anyone else like, tracking with this? This is, this is typically the message. The misunderstanding, I believe it's had um, a devastating effect because what happens is it's kept Christians from experiencing the presence and power of God, the kingdom of God, in their everyday life, and allowing them to be transformed into salt, light, and leaven, which actually influences the world. Instead, we've got statistics that say Christians and non-Christians, their behavior is no different. Same amount of drug abuse, same amount of divorces, same amount of suicide attempts, same amount of, I mean, all, all the measurements of what would be kind of like health, Christians and non-Christians, is, there's no statistical difference. And I believe it's precisely the gospel that we're preaching is doing it because it's divorcing God's power from your everyday life. There's a powerful uh, theological movie called Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Has anyone seen this powerful movie? And um, there's a scene in it where King Arthur and his knights are on a quest for the Holy Grail, and they have to cross this bridge. And there's a gatekeeper guarding the bridge, and uh, they must answer the, you must answer me these questions three. They have to answer these three questions to get to the other side of the bridge. There's a, and there's this chasm, 
And if they do not answer the questions correctly, they'll be thrown into the abyss. And so, roll the, roll the tables. Stop. Who would cross the bridge of death must answer me these questions three. Eh, the other side, he see. Ask me the questions, bridgekeeper. I'm not afraid. What is your name? My name is Sir Lancelot of Camelot. What is your quest? To seek the Holy Grail. What is your favorite color? Blue. Right, off you go. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. <clears throat> That's easy! Who approaches the bridge of death must answer me these questions three. Uh, the other side, he see. Ask me the questions, bridgekeeper. I'm not afraid. What is your name? Sir Robin of Camelot. What is your quest? To seek the Holy Grail. What is the capital of Assyria? I don't know that. <laughs> your name? Sir Galahad of Camelot. What is your quest? I seek the grail. What is your favorite color? Blue. No. <laughs> Stop. What is your name? It is Arthur, King of the Britons. What is your quest? To seek the Holy Grail. What? Is the airspeed velocity of an unladen swallow? What do you mean? An African or European swallow? Huh? I, I don't know that. Stop! Who would cross the bridge of death? That's it, that's it. Let's take a plane again. Many people have reduced the gospel to this, that when you die, there's going to be a bridge. And Peter's going to be at the pearly gates there. And the gospel is the secret answer that gets you into heaven. I don't know. And if you don't know the right answer, you get cast into the abyss, right? Problem is, where in the New Testament does Jesus say, I'm now going to give you the minimal entrance requirements to get into heaven? Because understand, the gospel has been reduced to the minimal entrance requirements to get into heaven. Listen, if that was Jesus' gospel, they never would have crucified him. Of course, Jesus' gospel includes, includes the forgiveness of sins and heaven when you die. It's a gift of grace. Of course, it do that, but it includes a lot more than that. So I'm going to read you Matthew chapter, well, I'm sorry, Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, but it's in a paraphrase by Dallas Willard. Here's his, here's his paraphrase. It's the same verse that we just read. All the preliminaries have been taken care of, and the kingdom of God is now accessible to everyone. Review your plans for living and base your life on this remarkable opportunity. Let me read that again. All the preliminaries have been taken care of, and the kingdom of God is now accessible to everyone. So the kingdom, the kingdom of God was nothing new. It was all throughout Hebrew scriptures. It's always been a thought. What was new is now that it was accessible to anybody. Anybody through the person of Jesus could now enter into this kingdom. We're going to talk about what the kingdom is here in a second. But what's new is now you didn't have to become Jewish. You didn't have to keep kosher. You didn't have to get circumcised. Now it's through the person of Jesus that you would enter. It is now accessible to everyone. Review your plans for living, which is an amazing way of saying repent. Rethink your thinking in light of this marvelous opportunity. Review your plans for living and base your life on this remarkable opportunity, which is a great way of saying faith. Base your life on this remarkable opportunity. That is Jesus' gospel. 
that God's power, his presence, his reign, his rule, his dominion is now available to anybody who wants it. And so he says, repent. Rethink the way you're living. Rethink your life. Rethink your, what your thoughts about are about God, about your life, about yourself, about what kind of power you can live on. Rethink those thoughts because now there's a marvelous opportunity in front of you. I think a lot of people think that Jesus just came to earth to die. It's just like, you know, just, just, you know, just shed the blood, forgiveness of sins. But um, he, he actually came for more than that. He came for several different things. One of the things he came to do was reveal the Father. But another thing he came to do was to bring the kingdom. He actually came to establish the kingdom of God here on earth. I have a friend who grew up in a country called Burkina Faso. Anyone ever heard of Burkina Faso? All right, let's say the capital of Burkina Faso out loud with me. One, two, three. Ouagadagou. Oh, no one knew that one? Wow. All you geography nerds. All right. So uh, my friend uh, Alfred, he grew up without electricity. And he remembers the first time that electricity came to his town. So I want you to imagine that uh, the announcement of electricity was being paralleled to the announcement of the kingdom of God. Ready for this? Um, the time has come. You've been living in the dark long enough. Electrical power in your homes is available now. Reconsider your current way of life. Leave it behind. Adapt some new technology that will allow you to access this new power source and live in a new way. Your lives will never be the same again. I can see it's like percolating across here. My friend told me that uh, after his village connected the electrical power lines, their lives were forever transformed. I think that's the way it is with the gospel. You can connect to a power source. You can connect to a holy power that's not your own, and your life will never be the same. It's the good news. It's not just that you get to go to heaven when you die. There's an entirely new way of living being offered to you in Jesus. It's called the kingdom of God. That's, that's the way of life is the kingdom of God. I do want to make a disclaimer, though. It's not about just adapting some new behaviors and some new beliefs. It's not like, okay, oh, I think I want to, okay, I, I'm going to heaven when I die. You know, I get to have heaven now a little bit, too. And it's not about just adopting these things. It includes that. But it's a whole new life force that must be lived from in order to have a kingdom lifestyle. See, it's not just trying harder. I'm actually living from a different kind of power. That's the good news. Baba calls it eternal life, or being born again, or being born from above. Some translations say an eternal kind of life. So here's what I want to do. I want to teach a little bit about the gospel of the kingdom. I've kind of just introduced you to the thing there. Uh, I'm going to talk to you about how I think it will lead to a different way of doing evangelism, and then how we're going to present the gospel, okay? And so, uh, let's, first of all, let's just look at the word gospel. The word gospel means good news. If the gospel you're hearing doesn't sound like good news, it might not be the good news. I've heard some people, they're so angry at it. I'm like, I thought this was good news. Like, what's happening here? Why are you so mad at me? And so I like uh, someone called it the almost too good to be true news. A couple of centuries ago, here's what they called the good, glad, merry news that makes a man want to dance and leap and spin for joy. Man, that is good news. My brother-in-law, uh, Doug, him and I had a real estate investing company, and we were always looking for different investments, where to put the money. I remember we were on this phone call. This is no lie. This guy, I went on this phone call with him, and he was telling us some complicated process of some MTMs, and I couldn't, I couldn't figure out the investment, which is rule number one. If you can't understand where the money's coming from, don't invest in it, uh, which we didn't. And so, but he was telling us he could take, this is no lie, I wrote it down here. If we would invest $11,000 in this investment, 90 days later, it would grow to $7.5 million. $11 million. I'm serious. That's, that's what he said. Those are the exact numbers. Now, how many of you like that deal? Okay. So, so I asked that guy. I said, well, listen. I said, this sounds amazing. Have you done this yourself? 
Well, no, we haven't yet. And he began to give all these excuses. I'm thinking, dude, 11,000, seven and a half million. I'd be selling a kidney. I'd be selling a car. I, like, like I would be doing anything I could because it's the opportunity of a lifetime. The things that you get in exchange, that's a picture of the gospel. The reason this guy did not do it is because uh, either one, he didn't see it clearly. That's repentance. Or he didn't believe. That's to act as if it were so. How are we doing? The gospel is an opportunity of a lifetime. I hear a lot of people that talk about counting the cost. Oh, you got to count the cost. You got to count the cost. In the scriptures, the passage that talk about counting the cost is actually just getting clarity about the bargain. It says there was a man who was a pearl merchant, and when he found one of infinite value, it said, in his joy, he went and sold everything he had. Why? Because this was the opportunity of a lifetime. A pearl of infinite value, this is what he'd been on a quest for his whole life. So the kingdom of God's like a man who's got a treasure hidden in a field. It says, in his joy, he goes out and sells everything. Why? Listen, if you've got $10 million buried in a field and it costs you 1000 bucks, how many of you guys know that's the opportunity of your lifetime? That's the context of the counting the cost. It's the clarity of the bargain. Here's how we would say it today is, um, hey, if you turn in this 24-pack of Coca-Cola, you get the Coca-Cola company. Now, like, oh, man, this is really, i got, I got to consider the cost here. Boy, how, this is going to cost, man, I've got, I've got 24 cans. You get the Coca-Cola company. <laughs> Hold on, so what you're saying is I, my life is no longer my own, and now I have God come live inside of me, and I get to think his thoughts and access to him, and he goes before me like a shield before and behind, so I have like this aura of supernatural around me, and favors attracting me, living over heaven, I don't know. I'm kind of, I don't know, so... Like people are talking about the cost. It's like, get clarity about the bargain. I'm giving up my bottle of Coke for the entire company. That's the kingdom. He said, that's what the kingdom is like. Is when you see, when you, the person who is ready for discipleship is somebody who sees the bargain. If somebody doesn't see the bargain, they're never going to be able to make, be, make it as a follower. Jesus said things like this, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, unless you love me more than father and mother, unless you do this and that, those are people who don't understand the bargain. It's like saying, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, unless you can do addition and subtraction, you can't do non-Euclidean geometry. I know. It's, 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 it's a theoretical mathematics where parallel lines actually meet. It's a strange thing. Oh, how about this? Where, uh, unless you can uh, do addition and subtraction, you cannot do complex algebra. How's that? Is that better? All right, there we go. All right. All right. All right. You cannot tithe. So, um, so, I mean, unless you see following Jesus is a greater opportunity, then you're going to get distracted by a lesser opportunity. I'm not sure if you realize, but most of the messages that happen at Zion, they're kind of the same thing. They're, they're pouring salt on your tongue and arousing your sweet tooth for the things of God. Because in the kingdom, it's taste and see. And so once you've tasted of God's goodness, it increases your capacity to want more. And those are the kind of people who are able to become those followers who will say no to certain things and say yes to other things because they realize the clarity of the bargain. The one is so worth following that they would leave father and mother. And 
I mean, that, that is actually kind of a strategy here at Zion with the testimonies and the healings and the presence of God. And let me, do, let me just back up here. Actually, the Lord kind of convicted me on this. I used to kind of have something in my heart against like seeker-sensitive churches. I think I've even said stupid things from the pulpit. And I was just driving here this morning. I felt like the Lord just really convicted me. I actually just repented on the way to the church this morning. And uh, here's what kind of shifted some of my thinking. Let me just stop. You know, seeker-sensitive churches are typically like, you know, hour-long services, hour 15, and, you know, maybe like 10, 15 minutes of worship with announcements. And, you know, they never cut the message short. You know, 45-minute message and then altar call. And they're really, you know, focused. They're, they're really focused on people who are unchurched coming into a church environment and hearing uh, a gospel message, right? And so, so I had a friend who... Uh, I was actually at a marketing conference. And so in, in sales and marketing, maybe you've heard this tunnel. Have you ever heard of the phrase a sales funnel? So if you picture a funnel, you know, the top of the funnel is wide and the, the base of it gets narrow. And so it's like, you know, hey, sign up for, you know, give me your email address and I'll give you this free report on three secrets to reducing your taxes. You know, they want to get you on their free email list. You get 10,000 subscribers. The goal is kind of like 10,000 subscribers, you know, 1,000 paying customers. 100 people to show up at your in-person conference, and 7 to 12 of those become coaching clients. And each time you go further down the funnel, it gets more expensive, but there's a greater level of engagement and a potential for a greater life transformation, right? And so um, he said something. I've never hated on Joel Osteen. I love Joel Osteen. No one's ever heard me say anything bad about him. I think he's wonderful. But he just used him as, his as an example. He said, um, he said, why is everybody hating on Joel Osteen? He's the top of the funnel. Isn't that interesting? Not everybody is called to engage at a coaching level, one-on-one, -on -one, where they got a whole bunch invested in it. You know what that's called? That's called CSSM. Not everybody is called to engage at this level to learn how to walk in the supernatural as a lifestyle. They have the character transformation, the mind renewal to, you know, I'm not saying, not, no, I shouldn't say not everyone's called, not everyone's ready. I think this is actually just normal Christianity, what we're doing here. But, you know, just, just the culture that we live in it's kind of come down to the funnel. And so I had another, uh, it was an 84-year-old man who graduated from here, Neil Canning. He said this. He said, Jim, he says, he's like, I've lived, you know, whatever. I think he's lived most of his life in Columbus. Uh, he's passed away then, but at the time. And he said, the Catholics introduced him to the Father. The Lutherans introduced him to the Son. The Vineyard introduced him to the Holy Spirit. And then they come to Zion. <laughs> like, what? And uh, I started thinking, what if that's okay? What if the Lord of the harvest is able to just move people around? And you know what? We're, we're not going to go to 10, 15-minute worship at Zion ever. But, you know, we probably shouldn't judge the ones who do because they're the top of the funnel. They're reaching people who will never come to church that's waving flags. And the last two weeks, I think it's been like pitch black in here. I've had to, like, make jokes about the lights, like, get the lights back on, guys, and... Sean got flag whipped, yep. Is that why you were ice in your forehead? I thought that was weird. You know, and you, know, you, you, know, you just got all sorts of different kind of stuff here. And so, you know, that might be a lot for some people. Although I am encouraged. We've had more and more people get saved here this year than we have any other year. And so people are like bringing friends. I'm like, you're brave. And so, um, yeah, just stay with your friends. Interpret some things for them. Why is that person painting on stage? I don't know. Just talk about it, okay? All right, we good? I think that's interesting. That's an interesting way to look at the body of Christ, and it makes it a lot easier to honor. And here's the thing is so when, actually, I think Sean brought this insight out when we were in the, uh, we were in the staff, we were praying before um, 
service today, is you know some people come from another church and they feel this itch, like hey, there's something more. And let's just say they come to Zion, they come to our church. Sometimes there's a tendency to dishonor the previous church because it's not providing more towards the bottom of the funnel. But that's what got you there. You never would have got to this. And so it's like, well, they're not doing this. Well, guess what? They may not be called to be doing that. And so we can still honor whatever it was that got us through the process. Even God uses imperfect people like Sean, me, and your previous pastors. Okay, we're all just doing our best. I guarantee if your pastor uh, wasn't perfect, you're not going to find one here either. But I guarantee they were just doing the best they could with what they had. And so, um, so yeah, just give, them, just give them some grace. You know, it's... it's you know, some, it takes a, a special kind of person to be able to take criticism nonstop. You know, we live in a pretty honoring culture, but we, uh, we take our share of hits and nasty emails and letters and all sorts of things and stuff. And so um, you may just caught your pastor on a bad day, all right? So well, this isn't like pastor appreciation meshes, but uh, hey. <laughs> but I think it may help some of you just recognize, just honor the process of what got you here, good, bad, and ugly, God's using all things to shape you. Sound good? All right. What is a kingdom? Um, let's just get a basic understanding of a kingdom. We don't use that word much. I think a lot of times we think castles and princes and Camelot and all that stuff. But um, first to say this, in a biblical sense, everybody has a kingdom. Everybody has a kingdom. Your kingdom is that little sphere in which what you say goes. If you look inside of a woman's purse, that's evidence of her kingdom. She's the one who put the stuff there. If you look in a man's tool shed, or in my case, shoe closet, then um, <laughs> I don't have tools, but I got shoes, sister. And my watch box. Yes, thank you. Uh, shoes and watches. I, I got them. And so, um, you know, that's an evidence. Your kingdom, that's where you want done. So here, here's a good way to look at um, God's kingdom. It's where his name is hallowed and his will is followed. Look at the definition from the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done. God's, when God's kingdom comes into a situation, his will is being, uh, made, is being done perfectly. I had a guy come to me today after service. I, said, I made a statement like, uh, you know, God loves Barack Obama the same way he loves ISIS, the same way he loves uh, Donald Trump. You know, and, you know, and then, you know, then he loves uh, Fox News as much as CNN. You can feel it getting a little tenser, like, I don't know about that, you know. <laughs> you know and then I was like, you know, he loves the males, the females, and those who are confused about their gender. And so this gentleman came up to me and he said, I've, I've, he's not in this room here. He said, he was this morning. And he said, uh, since I was six years old, I felt called to the eunuchs in my country. He said, they're typically treated as sex slaves. They just have a horrible life. And he's like, I've always had a compassion for them. And um, he's just wrestling through this. He's like, what? He's like, what, what would the church's message be to them? I said, you know, it would, be the, it would be the same gospel. And I said, but what you're talking about is the kingdom. God has a heart for anyone who's disenfranchised, you know, uh, marginalized, disempowered. And so sometimes the church may not have room for that. Listen, all the kingdom's bigger than the church. Okay? The kingdom is wherever what God wants done gets done. And so that could mean, uh, you know, someone coming up uh, with a solution for pure energy, that's actually the kingdom of God that's a better stewardship of the planet. When someone paints a beautiful painting, that's actually the kingdom of God because beauty is actually a reflection of God's holiness. You know what I'm saying? Like the, the kingdom of God is whenever a char- an aspect of God 
some people are like, well, how can somebody who's ungodly create something so beautiful? And it's just a testimony. It says that we're all created in his image. Just because it was marred doesn't mean it was lost. That's why we can watch. I don't know where Oprah Winfrey is spiritually, you know, but we can watch her show and feel so moved by her acts of generosity. It hits that part of us. That's the kingdom of God, that generosity, that going after that empowering people who are disempowered. You see what I'm saying? The kingdom of God is wherever. Um, how many of you feel God strongly when you're in nature? Okay. Let me tell you why that is. It's because nature is just how he intended it. When you walk into the redwoods or something that hasn't been touched by man, you know what I'm saying? Uh, when, you, when you walk into those environments, you're, you're walking into the kingdom of God because that's just how he wanted that when he arranged it. When you go to a beautiful beach, you see a sunset, you're experiencing God. I want you to understand, that's the kingdom in, in a big sense. And so in another sense, you have a little kingdom. So the big kingdom is where what he wants done is done where his name is hallowed, where his will is followed, you know, where it's on, on earth as it is in heaven. But then there's a sense where you take your little kingdom, and when you die to self and say, God, I recognize that I'm going to be most fully alive when I enmesh my kingdom into your kingdom. It's not that I'm squashed. I'm literally enmeshing it so that I get to live and move and have my being in what you're doing. Do you see, it's a whole different kind of life. I'm living on a different power. I'm enmeshing my life into your life so that I am in you and you're in me. You know, in a vine and a branch, it's hard to tell where one stops and the other ends. And he's inviting you into a lifestyle where it's hard to tell where it is, where you initiated the effort and when his effort came in. Where life in the kingdom begins to look a lot like power steering. I act, but he's acting with me, and the results are way more than I can do in my own strength. And he's inviting you into a lifestyle of the kingdom of God, of moving in his presence, his power, his wisdom, so that what he wants done is done, whether you're parenting children or you've got the best food truck in Columbus. We need more food trucks in Columbus. I love food trucks. I'm digging those things. What's a two-year-old's favorite word? Nadia, what's a two-year-old's favorite word? No. It's no, followed by mine. What's that two-year-old learning? They've got a kingdom. They're beginning to learn that they've got a... Uh, here's the technical definition for kingdom. It's the range of your effective will. That's a very technical de definition. But it's where what she wants done gets done. These are my toys. She's recognizing. It's a very deep part of what it means to be human, to have a kingdom. This is why you, when you see people who are abused so that their will is stomped and squashed, it's very damaging because the very essence of being human is that you have a say in what goes. And when that gets taken away, slavery, just the horrible things like that, it really is damaging to the very essence of who God's made you to be. I remember my sister and I were a little and we were in the back seat of the car. We would draw a line. This is my kingdom. Do not cross the line of this back seat. And we would go to war over the kingdom and we'd be fighting in the back seat. Now, whose kingdom did dad think the car belonged to? Dad thought it was his kingdom. And he would say, stop fighting. And then we'd keep fighting. And he would say, uh, do you want me to come back there? I'm thinking, yeah, it's 65 miles an hour. You're not coming back there. So what would dad do? Dad would send back his representative, Mr. Hand, <laughs> kind of groping at us like a snake, right? And we were, you know, retreating into the corner. But dad had a little trick to get us out of the unreachable safety zone, a little tap on the brakes, brought us right back into play. <laughs> Thy kingdom come, right? My kingdom is the range of my effective will. It's where what I want done gets done. The kingdom of God is the range of his effective will. 
Genesis 1.26, notice that God says this. Then God said, let us make, man, make mankind in our image. It's a picture of the Trinity there in uh, creation. In our likeness. He unpacks, he unpacks what it means to be made in his likeness. Um, let them rule. Another translation says, let them have dominion. Guys, that's kingdom language. When you're talking about ruling and having dominion, that's kingdom language. He's saying this is the essence of what it means to be like God, and now I'm giving you the same ability. Genesis 1, you were made to rule, to have dominion, to have a sphere in which your will and your choice is effective. It actually happens. Why don't you just look at the word kingdom? Kingdom, the king's dominion. It's implying authority. It's implying lordship. And uh, I've already hinted at this, but the Christian life has this goal of summarizing the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let me ask you this. Is there sickness in heaven? Poverty. Sin, broken marriages, people who feel unwanted. Anytime we bring the reality of his world into our world, the kingdom of God advances. Jesus said, that's what he said, whenever I cast out a demon by the spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. There's no demonic torment in heaven. That's not his will. And so when that gets displaced, his rule, his reign, his will comes into that situation and drives the other one out. It's the kingdom of God. When the kingdom of God comes into a situation, the reality of heaven invades earth, and possibilities bow their knee to the name of Jesus, and the kingdoms of this world become more the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ. I want you to notice, he didn't say pray this prayer. God, get me out of here. Beam me up, Scotty prayer. So many Christians, they're, they're just waiting for God to rapture them out of this mess, and so he can come and just torch the whole earth. God, this is not in the Bible. Instead, he, said, he didn't say, get me up there. Instead, he said, make up there, come down here. He's making all things new. He's renewing the earth. He's renewing the cosmos. Jesus said, bring heaven down here to my school, to your workplace, to your neighborhood, to your small group, to your family, to your nation, to your church. Here, here's the real question. Is, uh, is anyone even praying that? And do you think it might actually happen? You know, we talk a lot about here around city transformation, regional transformation, and uh, I don't know how long it's going to take, but um, I'm willing to do my part. If the kingdom of God is here and now, the Bible teaches, the Bible, he says it's at hand, it's within reach. God's not in a galaxy far, far away. It says the, the repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, it's within reach. Um, it's as close as the air that you breathe. In other words, all you have to do is just turn towards it, and it's right there. It's right at hand. Um, we have to acknowledge that it's in the invisible realm. But the fact that it's at hand, it's within reach. Part of the good news of the kingdom of God is it's now accessible 24-7 to anyone who's inhabited by Jesus. And Jesus is the gateway into the kingdom. So it's literally as, as soon as you turn your thoughts towards him, you begin to enter into a different realm. Let me just say this in case I don't get to say it. This is one of my favorite one-liners. Um, Jesus didn't come to get you into heaven when you die. He came to get you into heaven before you die. That's the good news of the gospel of the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. You can live in it now if you want to. So just in summary, the gospel of the kingdom is the good news that life in the kingdom of God, this eternal kind of life that Jesus himself lived, it's now available and you can live in it if you want to. God's inviting you to live in the kingdom of God. Here's one definition of it. 
oh, this is genius. It's not mine. An interactive relationship with God that permeates our ordinary life. Remember when he, uh, so John uses the phrase eternal life or eternal kind of life or Zoe life is the word uh, Zoe there. It's, it's the kind of life that God himself experiences. Matthew typically uses kingdom of heaven. Uh, Mark and Luke use kingdom of God. They're all pretty much saying the same thing here. And uh, I love this definition of, of eternal life, John 17, 3. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. The word know there implies an interactive relationship. This is part of what it means to live in the kingdom, to have eternal life, the eternal kind of life, is I get to have this interactive relationship where my life is enmeshed in his life, where I'm living and moving, have my being in him, and I'm abiding in him, and he's in me, and there's just this beautiful mixture that's just part of the mystery of what it means. Here's some good news, that Jesus is now taking students in the kingdom kind of life. He's called a disciple. If I, if I were to walk up to you and say, hey, are you a disciple of Jesus? It should be an obvious thing whether or not. Our gospel, the gospel of America, I'll just call it the gospel of atonement. It's actually typically the gospel of sin management. It produces vampire Christians who want just enough of the blood to get into heaven, but not enough to actually transform them. If I were to say, you know, if I were to say hey, are you a student at Ohio State? You wouldn't have to be like, well, um, it's, yeah, or no, it's, it's pretty obvious whether or not you're enrolled as a student or you're not enrolled in a student, okay? In the first century, it was obvious whether or not someone was a disciple. They were a follower of Jesus. They were a student. They were um, an apprentice of Jesus. I, I like the word apprentice because it has the, um, has the idea that I'm actually going to do something with the learning. If someone's an apprentice of horseshoe makers, what do you think they're going to do for a living? They're going to make some horseshoes. If you're an apprentice of Jesus... You're not going to just learn facts about Jesus. And uh, I remember there's this one discipleship program. It's basically all scripture memory. And it's like, well, yeah, well, scripture memory is wonderful if you're actually going to learn how to do those scriptures. Like the whole point of the Bible is to actually be able to do it, not to just be able to debate it. And so when Jesus uh, is a part of the good news of the kingdom of God, I'm going to make all this real simple. I'm just giving you some broad strokes here, Okay. So part of the good news of the kingdom is I get to be a student of Jesus in the kingdom kind of living. See, we've made him Lord and Savior, but there is a bigger picture. We actually get to make him teacher. He's actually good at more things than just churchy things. He's actually an expert on being a hot dog vendor on the streets of New York. He's the smartest person who ever lived. He knew how to transform the molecules of water into wine. He knew how to suspend gravity and walk on water. Do you know how much energy it takes to turn something from one state into another? The, the amount, they actually have only made two machines that are able to do it. They're called cyclotrons. One was in um, Sweden, and they had to shut it down. It just was, was getting too explosive. They have another one in Texas, and they take these electrons, and they're able to fire them at a, a rapid space, and they're able to, um, to create, um, create a certain amount of energy for just a short period of time. These, these cyclotrons are bigger than this room to be able to do this. The amount of energy released to, ta to transform something. When Jesus took and he multiplied bread and fishes, the amount of energy that that takes scientifically is off the charts. Jesus knew how to do that. He knew how to debate philosophers. He knew how to rearrange. Uh, he knew how to use his words to speak to the environment and cause uh, an instant death in a fig tree. He knew how to rearrange the, uh, the, the molecules, the neurons, the nerve endings, 
of a, of a lopped off ear instantly. I mean, he was really smart. You know, the Bible says that all things are being held together right now by his word. You know, they're not sure what makes these, elect- you know, like the, the, the chair you're sitting on, you know, is not really a solid object. It's being held together by electrons, you know, the, the relationship between electrons and all those things. And so neutrons, protons, all these things. And so the Bible actually gives a, a picture and it says, because scientists don't know why those things are attracted to each other. And the Bible says it's actually Jesus' word that's holding the whole thing together. I don't know if you understand, but the universe is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. They keep discovering smaller particles of matter. It seems to go infinitely small, but it's also going infinitely big. When Jesus said, let there be light, the universe is expanding at the speed of light because he never told it to stop. And so they're discovering galaxies upon galaxies with, you know, trillions of, I mean, it's, it's, it's mind-boggling how big it's getting and how small it's getting. And Jesus is sitting up in heaven knowing the numbers of hairs on your head every thought, and he's not breaking a sweat. It's not hard for him. And he's saying, I'm now, taking stu- I'm now taking applications for students in the kingdom kind of life. You can learn from me how to be like me. That's the good news. Do you want to be a better mom? He's the smartest person in the universe. We'll learn how to be better at your job, how to be a better marketer, how to be a governor of a state. He's the smartest person in the universe. And he's now accepting students in the kingdom kind of life. So here's what it means to be a disciple. It means I'm to learn from him how to be like him. I'm learning to live my life as if Jesus were in my place. I'm, so I'm not just learning spiritual things from him. I'm not just learning Bible lessons from him. Are you guys seeing how this kingdom of God is actually practical for your actual life, not just your after-death life? When he said, come follow me, I'm actually learning from him how to live my life as if he were in my place. And so let's say he were... I'm trying to, he was an associate pastor working for maybe one of the greatest pastors ever. One of the humblest, for sure. You know, what if he were a single mom? What if he were a student? You're actually learning from him, how would I be a student? How would I be a single mom? How, I'm actually, I remember I used to read all these books on parenting, which, you know, that's wonderful. Until I recognized these books don't know my kids. I'm like, no, nothing is helping with these kids. I don't, I have no idea. And it, and it hit me. I can learn from Jesus how to parent my kids. He's actually an expert. He's the one who made them. I mean, you see the freedom in that. He, he's teaching me how to be a good husband to Mary because the books that I'm reading aren't a manual on Mary. This is really good news. So whatever you face, he's an expert at. And he's like, oh, you get unlimited access 24-7. Oh, and not only am I going to give you information, I'm going to give you the power and strength to live these things out. Oh, you need to count the cost. The cost is high. Turn in your 24-pack to get the company, gang. It's worth, it's the, the price is nothing. When I pray your kingdom come, your will be done, I'm praying first that God's will may be done in my own life and then around me. So many people, they look at Jesus' teaching and they think, that's impossible. I have to do these things as I now am? Of course it's impossible. The goal of the Christian life is not to obey the commandments of Scripture. Okay, this is going to be good. You're not actually supposed to look at a command of Scripture and try to obey it. That's the old covenant. Under the new covenant, as Jesus says, here's how it works. You make the tree right, and then the fruit will be right. As I'm following Jesus, as I'm having this interactive life with him, 
as I'm hearing his voice and obeying, I'm actually being turned into the kind of person who easily and routinely, routinely does these commandments effortlessly. I'm not trying to be transformed. Just by hanging around him and interacting with him, I'm becoming more like him. But you bet, you, get, you better look at the cost. Wow. You better look at the bargain. So ask yourself this. I want you, to, you guys got some notepads there. I want you to just take a moment and, Holy Spirit, just, you know, just your, your own heart. You tell God what you want. Where do you want to see God's presence and power break into your heart and life? Just jot it down. This is just between you and God. This isn't, we're not going to show anybody else this. Write down these needs, and I, and I want you to, and, yeah, just write it. Where do you want to see God's presence and power break into your heart and life? Where do you want to see his kingdom break into your life? Just take a moment there. Where do you want to see God's presence and power break into your heart and life? Let's give you another minute on that. And the second question is fun. If you don't have paper, you can use your phone. I'm going to write these two questions on here because I really feel like this is kind of a practical way to state your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I feel like this is really what you're asking. I've learned to write in tongues, and this is very exciting. <laughs> That's the and signed. Where do I want to see God's presence and power break into my heart and life? That's the first question. Second question, where would I like God to use me to make things down here look like up there? I think so many people are waiting for God to tell them what to do, but I think sometimes God's waiting for us to tell him what we want. Because as you're interacting with him, it says as you delight yourself in him, he'll give you the desires of your heart. Your desires actually begin to shape the very things God's wanting to do in you. Oh, it's just all God. It's just all God. If it's all God, you're not necessary. I know my kids, you know, I, uh, I, you know, I used to tease them. We named them all after revivalists. They were first and middle names, and so we used to 
They used to tease me, hey, you can start revival on whatever continent you want. I'm not, gonna, I'm not the kind of dad that's going to control you, you know, like that. And so, you know, I, I, I kind of have a big picture plan that God, they're going to be amazing for the kingdom of God, right? And so, but I want to hear how they want to do it. And so God, I'm, God has an awesome plan, but some of it's going to come out of you interacting with him. And it's, when it clicks in place, it's going to be amazing. You know, this really got me. So how many of you guys heard of Lance Wall now? So Lance is just a level 10 teacher, and he's taught a lot on marketplace ministry and God using, you know, this, reaching the seven mountains of society, transforming culture. And recently, God has basically had him be a kingdom political analyst with a strong touch of sarcasm in there. He's, he's just got a sharp wit. And, uh, and so I was actually, I was just at a conference where he was at, and Lance was talking about, he's like, you know, uh, he's like, I, I'm like, God, He's like, you know, you're calling me to the political realm. He's like, this is going to ruin my brand. And God said, not that many people know about you. It's going to be okay. Uh, that's actually kind of funny. And so he's like, God, you know, like, I feel like you just kind of hijacked me with this. And he said, you, whenever you've been praying in tongues, your spirit's been praying for this for years. I'm actually finally just answering the prayer of your spirit. And so he said those prayers have actually prepared the way. He feels like it's a hand-in-glove fit now. He's like, he feels like his whole life's been preparing him for this, but it was a scary thing. It was like, this isn't anything that in the natural I've been prepared for. Isn't that interesting? So some of you may feel hijacked by God, but your spirit's been praying it this whole time, and it's going to be okay. Where would I like God to use me? To make things... Down here, run the way, the way they do up there. I apologize for my handwriting. Remember in second grade, they get, spent me to special handwriting classes because it was so bad, even back in second grade. You can see it didn't work. Just take a minute on that. So where do I want to see, this is kind of where do you want to see God invade you, and where, does God, where do you want to see God help you invade somewhere else? Okay, so just take a minute and just, just talk through that, because we can't just, it can't be an intellectual concept. We've got to actually break it down to where we're at. So just take another minute or two on that. Those listening to the recording, I'm going to read the questions again for the recording. Where do I want to see God's presence break into my heart and life? Where would I like, to, where would I like God to use me to make down here run the way they do up there? Assuming some of you are meditating and not sleeping. I'm just going to believe that. 
with such the peace of heaven has settled upon you that you're having an encounter right now. It's so powerful. If you snore, the encounter is over, okay? Well, we've had that happen. We have, we've had people snore during my preaching more than once. Yeah. All right, so hey, you, if you want to finish up those questions, uh, you know, on your own or maybe if you're in your revival groups or something like that, let's... Um, let me just hit real quick the gospel of the kingdom versus the gospel of atonement, just to kind of just make it real clear. The gospel of atonement is what I feel has been preached in America that is a, a reduction of the true, of the fullness of the gospel. So I just want to break that down and then uh, just show you how to present the gospel and then how to present your testimony. Sound good? All right, the gospel of the kingdom is that you can now live in the kingdom of God. You can have this interactive relationship with God that permeates every part of your life. You can now live and move and have your being and have all, all those good things. But... Um, so I want you to notice, the focus is on eternal life starting now and extending into eternity. That's the gospel of the kingdom. Is this kingdom kind of life, it starts now. It doesn't start when you, you know, it, you don't have to wait till heaven to get all the goodies. And so the gospel of the atonement is focused on your afterlife. The gospel of the kingdom is focused on your actual life. You see the difference? In the gospel of atonement, Jesus is a means to an end. He's how I get to heaven. In the gospel of the kingdom, he's my teacher and my very best friend. I actually am interacting with Jesus now, not just waiting to see his face when I die and get to heaven. Are you guys seeing how this is going to produce two totally different lifestyles? Because if we can't get the gospel right, OMG. The gospel of atonement is about getting you into heaven when you die. The gospel of the kingdom is about getting you into heaven before you die. If you have the gospel of atonement, once you're forgiven, you will run the rest of your life on your own. You may not, I, I think, you know, when we present the gospel, you know, every head bow, every eye closed, no one looking around, you know, repeat this prayer to me, God, forgive me my sins, you know, okay, you're in heaven, get baptized, all right. And so... There's nowhere in the gospel presentation that actually talks about becoming a disciple. It's kind of like a sunroof. Yeah, it's going to be kind of nice, but I can live without it. It's a nice add-on, but it's not really has to be part of the package, right? Like there's, there's nowhere in the gospel of, of atonement where it says you're even going to see Jesus anywhere. He's, he's not even a part of your life until you get to heaven, right? It's just like pray this person and get heaven. Now, okay, I'm forgiven. Now, now we're going to give you a bunch of rules to try to live holy and so you don't go to the bad place, and, right? I mean... Have you guys been or not been to churches around? I mean, so here's a really good. So the gospel of atonement, it is true, but it's incomplete. Okay, I believe that those people are genuinely saved. I, I believe, but I guess my concern is, it's a watered down version of Jesus that they're meeting. You know, they're you know. So I, I just feel like we want to we want to we want, I feel like we want to introduce people to the true gospel, the true kingdom. So here's a good question to help us understand the difference. Does the gospel you preach naturally lead people to discipleship with Jesus? If they were to hear that, the gospel that we teach in our churches, that, we, that we're telling our neighbors, that we're instructing our kids in, would the next natural thing be, oh, um, of course, I'm, I'm going to learn from him how to be like him. There's an engineering principle that says this. Your systems are perfectly designed to give you the results you're getting. 
So what if the results we're getting in churches where, um, you know, I mean, I mean, this is Barna studies, this is George Ode, these are studies like, you know, like outside independent using statistical analysis, probability, all those type of things. Um, they're showing that there's no lifestyle difference between Christians and non-Christians, no, nothing statistically different. And so I'm not trying to make anyone feel bad if you're having a struggle right now. Um, it may be partially because the gospel wasn't presented completely to you. And so what if the whole reason that we've got no difference behaviorally is not um, in spite of our system because it's because of our system. It's very gospel that we're preaching. It only deals with your afterlife and not your actual life. So now the results we have of people's actual lives are they're a mess because the gospel was never presented as invading that part of their life. Are we seeing the problem? So I'm not trusting in the kingdom of God. I've heard people say, like, have faith in the kingdom. The kingdom has a king. Okay, it's about trusting Jesus. Remember I talked about one of the definitions that you could look at is permeating every part of my life. That is the best news you will ever get. Is Jesus wants to be involved in every single part of your life. I'm not just trusting his death on the cross. I've heard some people present the gospel. It's like, you need to believe these things about Jesus. You know, he died, he rose again. and Yeah, those, those are actual things. But the, the good news is I can trust a person named Jesus, not just believe facts. The demons believe those facts about him, and it's not changing their lives. How are we doing? Are we okay? All right. I know we're getting a little theological here, but you guys look like you're handling it all right. If you're trusting in Jesus and not just his death on the cross, then life in the kingdom is going to come with that. I'm trusting in this person. I'm trusting him. He's going to... I'll, I'll just get to cut to the chase. The gospel in two words is trust Jesus. If you've ever heard me do an altar call here at Zion, it, it looks real similar to that. I'm not just believing facts about him 2,000 years ago. I'm trusting him with my actual life, with my finances, with my family. Of course, my afterlife will take care of that. A lot of times we say, um, if you were to die tonight, do you know where you would go? That's a gospel of atonement question. Here's a gospel of the kingdom question. If you were to live tonight and tomorrow and for a very long time, how would you do it? You going to do it on your own strength? Are you going to be the captain of your own ship? Or are you going to have the creator of the universe guide you and show you how to live life in his kingdom. Man. So when it comes to evangelism, I feel like our default mode in America is we're not evangelizing to make disciples. We're evangelizing to make Christians or converts who we hope later will turn into disciples. But that's a bait and switch. They didn't sign up for that. They signed up to get a get-out-of-hell-free card. If you were to die tonight, I'd, if I were to stand up at our, on Sunday morning, I thought about this in the way I drive here. If I were to stand up on Sunday morning and say, listen, I'm having a word of knowledge that there's somebody here who, if you do not accept Jesus today, there's going to be a car crash and you're going to die and you're going to spend an eternity in hell. If I were to stand up and give that word of knowledge, there would be people out of fear who would go, oh, my gosh, and they would come down and they would respond they're not responding to the gospel of the kingdom. I want God. This is the opportunity of a lifetime that I can live on a holy power that's not my own. I can learn from Jesus, the master of life, how to do my actual life. They're not signing up for that. They're doing a get out of hell free card. Does God honor that? Absolutely. It's a, it's a part of it. 
but our systems are designed, they're perfectly designed to give us the results that we're currently getting. So the big question is, are you going to live your life on your own tomorrow and the day after? If you do, you're not trusting in Jesus. So I've used those questions before um, when witnessing somebody instead of just, hey, if you were to die tonight. Listen, like the, the two greatest fears people have are public speaking and dying. So to come up to somebody and just begin talking to them about their second greatest fear, death, like right off the bat, I think it's just kind of a weird way to witness. So if I think there is a place for outreaches and for conversations, I, I think there's a place for that. Um, I actually don't know how much good it does. I don't know how to measure you praying with a stranger on a bus, never seeing them again, them not connected to any kind of body, which is just unbiblical Christianity. Ah, just me and Jesus and the TV. There's just, there is no picture of biblical Christianity apart from a local body. They don't encourage you. It's just, it's like one cell, you know, or like one body part out on its own. It's like, it's not going to last long. You know, we got a lot of arrogant people who just, you know, they're better than what the Bible instructs. But anyway, and so... Um, I don't know where I'm going with that. It must have been for someone on the recording is what that was for. Yes. So how do we do evangelism with the gospel of the kingdom? Okay. Here's what I believe. I believe the Great Commission nails it. I don't think we're going to improve on it too much with all of our church methods. Because what it says, it says, uh, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples, immersing them in the reality of the Trinity. Baptizing someone in the name of something. When they, remember when they did something in Jesus' name? It wasn't a formula. It was entering into the reality of Jesus. By what name or by what power did you do this, they would say in the book of Acts. This is baptizing them in the name of the uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, immersing them in the reality of the Trinity, and teach them to obey everything I've commanded. I believe the best way to make disciples, let's put it this way, I believe the best way to make converts or disciples is for them to see an actual disciple. Can you imagine a group of people who look nothing like Jesus going out and telling other people a gospel of salvation getting them to pray some prayer, and bringing them back into a group of people who look nothing like Jesus. Like, what's that going to do? I, I, I don't know. I guess you could draw a crowd if it's a good enough speaker, if the music and smoke machines are good enough, if the programs are exciting enough. I, I, I guess you could keep them entertained for a long time. But the life change is going to come from this life on life of me seeing somebody. You know, when I hear stories about Sean's mom and uh, just what a wonderful disciple and person she is, and so... Boy, that had a shaping effect on you. Even when there was a time where you weren't fully walking with the Lord, you couldn't get very far. It was a tether of that example. I believe in discipleship evangelism. So here's, the, here's, the, um, here's what discipleship evangelism is. is I'm arousing their sweet tooth, and I'm pouring salt on their tongue by my life. It's, uh, I'm, put it this way. I'm ravishing them with the kingdom of God. So when we talk about, so I would have thought miracles would have had a lot more credibility when you tell somebody about a miracle, an unbeliever. Have you noticed, they may freak out a little bit. 
it doesn't really have that much bite because you're speaking a foreign language to them. You know, I mean, you know, Sean and I have a, a, a mutual friend that we're praying for that we see about every three to four weeks, depending on how long our hair is. And so um, just, a, just a wonderful man, just lost as a, just lost. And, uh, and I'll tell him about miracles, and he'll be like, holy F, I can't believe that, blankety blank. You know, he just doesn't have a grid for it, but it's not making him fall on his knees and say, what must I do to be saved? But when I, when I tell him about the Normandy Project and what, we're, what our vision is to be able to take girls off of the streets and how we just, you know, we bought that uh, Fresh Start building, how we help the, girl, the, the boys who are most at risk and uh, foster care one step below prison. When I tell him about safe families and things like that, it's, uh, man, his heart begins to melt. You know, um, he begins to get excited about that. What am I doing? I'm ravishing him with the kingdom of God. He's actually getting a picture from Sean and I, seeing him on a regular basis, and I'm assuming you're tipping big. I'm tipping big. And um, I look at his missions. <laughs> I'm like, I'm, like, I'm living like 50% tips, and it's an expensive haircut anyway. Anyway, and so, um, and so uh, what am I doing? I'm ravishing him with the kingdom of God. It says that you overcome evil with good. What if our city just needs more goodness? What if that would turn the tide where Christians don't have their hand open looking for money, but they've got their hand out ready to serve and give? When we're breaking, listen, when we see, I mean, I look at one of the needs that, like, we, we've got a lot of things we want to do as a church. Our staff has just, you know, and our, our people have got, every time we get a new person, the vision of the church grows because our vision is to help you become amazing and walk in your destiny. And so, but one of the big needs of our city is uh, the developmentally disabled community. And, um, you know, the government provides a lot of money, and so agencies can, uh, can have a very good revenue stream come in, and they're not taking it and putting it towards getting good workers who are called and qualified. And so a lot of times, not trying to be mean, but we've had people with special needs in here, and it was difficult to tell the worker from the patient, I am not trying to be mean. I'm just, I'm just stating it. It is very difficult because uh, they don't pay them very well. And so they're getting, so people who are highly prized by Jesus, people who are developmentally disabled have these things, they are highly prized by Jesus, just as much as the person who is confused over their identity, just someone who might be born a eunuch, where their genitalia is, like, like, guys, those are highly prized people. So for us to make crude jokes, you know, you, you will not see anyone on our staff making some gay joke and imitating it with a lisp and a, and a and guys, these are people who are prized by the king. And the developmentally disabled are prized. And so when we began to show the heart of God, um, they will know we are Christians by our. And what are we doing when we're loving? We're, we're, we're ravishing them with the kingdom of God. Everyone wants a king like Jesus. But they have to meet King Jesus through us. And as we're loving, and as we're... So Jesus, he would announce the kingdom of God was here. He would... Uh, heal the sick, he would demonstrate the reality of it, then he would teach him a little bit about what it was like. And so, in a, in a small way, that's kind of what we're, we've tried to do here, and I just feel like we want to do more of it, is when that broken bone resets, when that tumor dissolves, the kingdom of God has come upon that person. They're, they're getting the kingdom preached in their body. You know, they're seeing the goodness of God, and it ravishes people. We've, um, where there's a lady who... Um, my mom, so I did like a little four-minute healing video. I'm not sure if you guys have ever seen it. But uh, it's, it's, it was really just a God thing. We shot it in one take, 
And my mom showed it to her friend. Her friend's like, that's a wonderful script. How long did it take to memorize that? And mom's like, it wasn't a script. It was just, and she, so she gave it to her unsaved daughter who wants nothing to do with God but is dying of breast cancer. I think she's stage four. And, um, and so we, uh, I, you know, I ended up doing a phone call with her. And my wife and I, we prayed over her. And uh, she, like, her whole body started vibrating. This is an unbeliever. And she doesn't have language for shaka baba and, you know, all the crazy charismatic stuff we have. And, um, but just the fact that we reached out to her and God's power demonstrated our, it was demonstrated in her body. She hasn't gone to the doctor yet. She's got an appointment, I think, in a week or two. So we'll see what happens there. But um, she's now wanting to be a follower of Jesus. But what happened? There was just, it was just, it was just the goodness of God. It wasn't an outreach event. It was just, just us showing love, of course. This person who doesn't know God, she heard the teaching and it made her come alive a little bit. She's like, I want to know more. We prayed. I believe the best way to do evangelism is discipleship evangelism. We have put all of our eggs in this basket at Zion is we are going to make people who look, smell, think, act like Jesus, or at least in process of it, and I believe that that will do more good for the city than 10,000 people who have agreed to the gospel of atonement and are waiting to get to heaven when they die. And they may be doing some good works too mixed in there, but the world needs to see disciples of Jesus. They need people who, it's like, why is your marriage just work? How come is, is it no matter what's happening in the economy, you're able to be generous and not have any fear? Why is it that your kids actually want to spend time with you even though they're old enough to not have to? Why is it? What, what are all those things? Those are just benefits of the kingdom. God's, because he wants to be involved in your marriage. He wants to be involved in your parenting. He wants to be involved in your finances. He wants to be involved in your job. Why do you just seem to have favor? I was talking to a guy after church today, and God has just given him unbelievable favor. And he's like, Jim, he's like, you know, where are, you know, how can we find out what it looks like for heaven to invade the Fortune 500 companies? I said, I don't know. I said, we, we need people like you to pioneer it. And so he just began sharing with me a situation. He um, had presented nine times in a row at this meeting of all the higher-ups in a multi-billion-dollar company. And, uh, and so they told him, hey, we want you to just come and sit in this one. And the meeting was going bad. The board of directors are just berating the president, the CEO, da-da-da. And, and uh, Mark, he, this guy was uh, sitting at, uh, he said he was sitting at the kids' table. He wasn't even sitting at the, at the big table with them. They just said, hey, you got any thoughts on this? And he said, um, he remembered the scripture from Job where it says, open your mouth and I will fill it. The scripture, like he's, he's just sitting at the meeting. He's not expecting anything. And uh, the, uh, oh, and so just, you know, this gentleman in our church, he uh, took his group through culture of honor without them reading the book. He's like, yeah, I'm afraid they're going to f- uh, accuse me of forcing Jesus down their throat. But he's like, I don't use the name Jesus. But his group has got 67 times more productivity than any of the other Fortune 500 company of the same thing. And uh, he took them through culture of honor and he took them through uh, keep your love on without them knowing that that's what they were doing. Just every time he would throw stuff in there. And so, so he's got this track record. His, company's, his part of the company is killing it. And so they just say, hey, what are your thoughts on this? Joe flashes through his mind. Open my mouth and I'll fill it. And he said this, this thing that came out that squelched the whole argument and they were able to move on. And they said the rest of the meeting went well. Guys, that's the kingdom. Well, hold on. He didn't say, in the name of Jesus, I decree and I declare. No, 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 guys. We're not talking about the church. We're talking about the kingdom. Where he was able to bring one word and speak and calm a storm. You got to understand, God's concerned about those things too. 
There was no altar call. But I guarantee you that, you know, he's funny because he's like, you know, he's like, I lost it on a coworker, and da 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 da, you know, and so I guarantee you that. But he's he's had a favor on his life, and he's ravishing people with the kingdom of God. I guarantee you've got neighbors who are watching your life, and uh, I remember when we first moved into our, our house we're in now, and. You know, it was, it was a religious thing on me to feel like I had to work healing testimonies into the conversation. These guys could have cared less. They're out drinking beer, talking about shooting guns. We're talking about the upcoming, I think it was, it was Mayweather and McGregor were going to fight. And um, it was a boxing guy versus a UFC fighter, cage fighter. And um, here I am trying to be religious and slip in some little healing testimonies when they just needed me to be a normal guy and be interested in their life. And, you know, it, it hurt me. You know, I've had to rebuild that thing and get back interested in their life and mow their grass and, you know, stuff like that, you know. You don't have to slip in Jesus, you know. When someone cusses at work, you don't have to say, oh, yeah, you know him too, or, you know, or don't, don't take the Lord's name in vain. It's interesting, Jesus, it says in First Peter, it says, when he was reviled, he reviled not, but he trusted himself to the one uh, who could keep him safe. So when there's people spewing evil at you at work, you don't need to spit it back. And in the name of Jesus, I take that and throw it back. You know, you don't, you don't, you don't get to get all weird in this stuff. When Jesus was reviled, he reviled not. He didn't, he didn't spit back venom on them. He just trusted him. God, you can keep me safe. You've got my back. Discipleship evangelism. I'm almost done here, guys. I know I went a long time. Ravishing people with the kingdom of God. Interesting. Let me just give you five things here. Uh, miracles. Matthew chapter 11. It said, uh, Jesus is walking out of a city who's just rejected him, and he said, Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. If the miracles performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, those were two Old Testament wicked cities, they would have repented in sackcloth and ashes. So this tells us that miracles can, turn, can change the appetite and turn the heart of a wicked city on a dime. Miracles are a part of ravishing the kingdom of God. Good marriages. Ephesians chapter 5 says that the way a husband loves a wife and the way that a, a wife honors her husband, it, said, uh, it shows the world how Christ loves the church. A good marriage literally prophesies to the watching world, hey, this is how God feels about you. These are just straight scriptures showing you how to ravish. Um, change lives. Change lives. I mean, when, uh, uh, you know, it was like the man born blind and like, you know, the, the woman at the well, you know, she went and told, you know, told, it's like when people had changed lives and they told that story, it changed lives. Generosity. Uh, there was a man who uh, took one amount of money, I think it was a mina, and he turned it into 10. And, uh, and the, uh, the king said, I make you ruler over 10 cities. Somehow generosity gives you the spiritual authority to shape culture over cities. I remember we, uh, one of my practices is if I ever see anyone in the military at a restaurant, I buy their meal no matter how many there are. And so... I remember there was uh, one guy in there, and um, I always do it anonymously. And so, uh, so I, you know, I paid for it. I think we're at Ruby Tuesdays. They love to eat at Ruby Tuesdays. Every time I go, there was always military guys there, so they must know something. And so the, uh, and so somehow this guy figured out who I was. And so he came, and he's just, I mean, he's this big strapping guy in his camo and everything. And he's like, "Hey, are you the one who um, 
bought my meal. I said, well, yes, sir. You know, I said, I'm so thankful for your service. I said, our church prays for you just about every week, and I uh, just thank you for what you do. And he went, oh, wow. And he ripped the patch off of his arm, and he gave it to me, and he just said, thank you so much. Isn't that interesting? There's a, there's a verse in Proverbs that says, generosity awakens the conscience of an unbeliever. Isn't that interesting? I remember I was at Thanksgiving, and part of Mary's family, not her immediate family, but the people they married into are not saved at all, and they're, they're quite wild. And so they all came, and it was, you know, it was just like two different worlds sitting there. And there's this one guy who loves to smoke marijuana and do a bunch of drugs, but he's also a genius intellect, and he's like a philosopher. And I wouldn't be surprised if he tries to start his own cult. He's just that kind of guy. He's been on a TV show. You may have seen him. Anyway. So, it's, so he comes and sits by me, and all the rest of the family leaves. They're like, oh, my gosh, what's going to happen? They're like, Phew. And so I'm just sitting there with him, and I'm just asking him about his, his life. And, uh, you know, he's quoting me this poetry that he's written about his, there's a certain kind of cigarettes. And he's, it was kind of like a sexual poem. It was like his cigarette was like his lover. And it was brilliant but disgusting. You know, I'm like, oh, whatever. And so... Um, so we're just sitting there, and I'm just asking him questions. I'm just, I'm just genuinely interested in his life, and I can just see, man, this guy's got such a call. He's just an orphan. He, you know, he doesn't, you know. And so, um, so he asked me about my life, and so I told him about some, some miracles. Didn't phase him. <laughs> no grief for it. And uh, I began to tell him about the Normandy Project, which is, you know, our project downtown. And tears well up in his cheeks, and he points in my face, and he says, I finally met a real Christian. It wasn't... I mean, I would have thought, to me, the miracles are like, wow. But um, it was the generosity of people going and making a difference in the city that ravished him with the kingdom. And he said, you know what? He's, he's, he was into Buddhism, I think, at the time. And he said, you know, I don't believe in Jesus. But he said, if I did, I'd want the one you had. Now, the rest of the family had been telling him, you need to get off a pot, you pothead. You need to do this and that. I just took an interest in his life. Generosity. Isn't that interesting? I remember I was... Uh, I had this guy come to the door, and he was selling, uh, I think, cable, cable TV. And I was just kind of, I was in the middle of something. I just really didn't feel like it. I'm slamming the door, and just as I'm getting ready to shut the door in his face, you know, I'm like, I'm not interested. He gives me one of those one-liners, you know, those good salesmen that got the little one-liners? And I was like, all right, that's actually pretty good. And so I'm like, all right. So he talks to me, and he ends up selling me the cable. <laughs> so as we're talking, so as we're talking, I'm realizing I got this guy sitting at my kitchen table here. I'm like, this is like a total kingdom opportunity. So I start getting interested in his life and ask him. I like to ask people about their tattoos. Hey, what's that mean to you? And, and so I'm like, hey, hope this doesn't sound crazy, but in our church, we see healings all the time. You got anything? And so he had dislocated his jaws. He was a Muay Thai kickboxer and had some carpal tunnel. So we prayed for him. He gets a breakthrough in both of those things. So now he's just like, you know, blankety blank. And, um, and I'm, like, uh, I'm like, what's your story? And so he's like, I'm living with this girl. Her sister just OD'd yesterday. Uh, she, was a, she was selling her body for drugs. She's got two kids. Now we're going to have to raise the kids. And he's like, we don't have money for the funeral. I said, all right. And so um, I said, how much you need? And so he told me. So I went in the other room, and I wrote a check. And I gave it to him, and he sat there, and he wept. He's like, why are you doing this? And he's like, I don't even believe in God. I said, but he believes in you. And so uh, I gave him the check, and uh, we exchanged numbers. His name's Kit, and uh, he's from Thailand. And uh, I just, I, I told him, I said, I feel like I'm supposed to go to the funeral. And I, I, don't, I don't know this guy at all. And so I texted him. I said, would it be weird if I came? He's like, no, I think it seems appropriate. Thanks. For... So I show up there. Remember, this is a guy who 
I, I, I didn't tell you this part. You know, he, he's like, I traveled all over the world. There's no God, you know. And so I said, no, I don't believe in God. That's why I just said, that's okay. He believes in you. So I didn't force anything. So he goes from not believing in God. I show up. I'm in my pastor's suit, you know, my one suit. And, uh, and you, know, they, you know, they got people with, like, you know, tattoos on their face. And it was like like rough crowd, you know. And like the baby mamas. And the baby daddies, like, they're arguing back and forth because now they're with different partners. And, like, I thought there was going to be a fight breakout. So I'm like, where am I going to hide, you know, first of all, you know. And so, so I show up, and I just sit in the back. And so I'm just chilling. And people say, um, so he comes up to me, and he's like, hey, everyone, this is my pastor. <laughs> the, uh, the kids who he's now going to adopt are running up and sitting in my lap. And uh, there's giving me affection. These guys who look like train killers are coming up with tears in their eyes saying, hey, man, I heard what you did. I don't know why you did that, but that means a lot. And, guys, it was in the hundreds of dollars, not the thousands of dollars. It wasn't like, you know, I just paid off their mortgage or something like that. But there was an act of generosity that arose, uh, awakened the conscience of an unbeliever. And I would say the last one, I would say compassion on the POWs, uh, the poor, the orphan, the widows, and the single parents. Jesus said, true religion is the, uh, or the book of James says, true religion is look after orphans and widows in their distress. And what happens is Paul says that our lives become the aroma of Christ to those who are perishing. That's what I'm talking about, guys. I'm talking about the kingdom. I'm talking about your life because you've enmeshed it with Jesus and you're in him and he's in you. Your life begins to give off this smell I, mean, uh, I don't know how many Cinnabons they still have at the mall. Uh, like, I'm, I think like health things have kind of prevailed that you don't need a, you know, a Cinnabon the size of your torso, you know. <laughs> but yeah, I, don't know, I, I remember walking one time and I was fasting, and I was walking by and Cinnabon hit me, and it was like <laughs> it arrested every cell in my body. It was like a tractor beam. I'm like, oh my god, like it must have a Cinnabon, sin on a bun, you know, and so. Um, <laughs> And I want you to get that picture of you just enjoying the Lord. You're going throughout your work day, and you're interacting with him. You're talking. To, I, remember I got a, one of the guys at the church here, Tony. He was um, doing some accounting. He owns a business, doing some accounting, and just kind of doing it with the Lord. You know, just, just mindful of the Lord, just thankful, you know. And, and as he does it, the Lord says, you missed one. And uh, it may not seem like a big deal. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about you're, 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 it's an interactive life with him where he's in you. You're in him. You're living and moving, have your being. And as a result of that, you're going to begin to give off the aroma of Christ to those who are perishing. And it's going to seize their senses. And they're going to say, man, what is that smell? What is that from? And you're going to be able to tell them, man, I just, listen, I, I'm following this person named Jesus. And uh, evangelism is for the lost, and so they have to know that they have a need. One of the best ways for them to know that they ha- the person who doesn't have a need isn't going to recognize a solution. But what happens is you're ravishing them with the kingdom of God. They're becoming aware that I don't have that. And you have to understand, Paul said, one plants, one waters, God reaps the harvest. It's okay to not close the deal on the spot. I know there's 10% of this room, you're, you have the gift of evangelism, and you will win more people with the Lord than the rest of us combined. Okay, that's just a fact, and we're so thankful for that gift. Okay? 
but the rest of us, we've got to be um, okay with planting seeds and watering and being okay with reaping the harvest, not checking it out and just re- sowing and watering. Okay, and that, but it, guys, it's okay for us to ravish. One good encounter with a disciple can undo 100 bad encounters with bad Christians. It can change everything. I remember there was a gang member named Jose. He, uh, he brought um, ecstasy to Charlotte, North Carolina. We lived in uh, Winston-Salem, North Carolina. He brought it there. He was in a gang, and uh, <clears throat> he's sleeping with a girl, living with a girl, sleeping with her, and the girl decides she wants to go to church on Easter. So he goes to church on Easter. I'm on staff at this church, and are you guys okay with this? I gotta cut this. And so he... Uh, well, this story is really precious to me. He comes there and, uh, you know, he grew up in a denomination that basically told him there's no hope, you're going to burn in hell, your lifestyle, da-da-da-da, just, he's pretty cultish. <clears throat> and he comes there and God just does something on his heart and he just doesn't know what to do with it. So he calls the church and they give him to me. And so I take him out to lunch. Hey, bro, what's your story? He just begins to tell me a story and God's doing something in him. And so... We meet every day for like five days. And this is a tough guy. I mean, he's, you know, been in fights. I haven't, you know, he's been in like knife fights and gunfights and tattoos. And um, and so I just had a bold move. I said, hey, why don't you come to my son's birthday? And so he, uh, you know, pretty bold move, I guess, you know, inviting a gang member to come to your house. <laughs> and, um, but, you know, the, when it's God, you know when it's God and you know when it's just foolishness. That was funny because I remember, uh, I think it was Wesley got, I remember it was when the Spider-Man movie came out and they had like these things where you could shoot the silly string out of the Spider-Man shooters. <laughs> Wesley unloaded a whole can in uh, Jose's face. <laughs> he's just standing there, he's not saved. He's just like, you know, he wanted to kill this kid. Anyway, he just began to hang around her family and I think it was in, you know, just within a couple of days, he, uh, he's like, I want to get saved. And I'm trying everything and... Um, Finally, I just said, hey, repeat this prayer after me. Like, I never do the repeat a prayer. I did the repeat a prayer, and he sobs for 15 minutes. He's like, I haven't cried. He, he had a very abusive family background, and um, he's like, I haven't cried in years. He's like, nothing makes me cry. What's going on? Like, God's just loving on you. So we just kind of adopted him in, and uh, he, uh, <laughs> yeah, he became part of the family. He actually moved here for a while. Some of you guys remember he had to change his name because another gang member rose up to power that he had shot and sent a hit squad after him. You know, there were some things. <laughs> and um, he had a period. So as a result of that, he ended up running away from the Lord. And so he calls me one day and he says, uh, Michelle, his wife uh, and him were going to kill themselves. She was on antidepressants. She couldn't get out of bed. He had so much damage in his body from just different things. Uh, he could hardly get out of bed, and, you know, just in extreme pain. His neck was held together by titanium rods and screws. And he's like, I'm just calling to let you know we're going to kill ourselves. He's like, we're going to take a bag of pills. And I said, um, he's like, I don't believe in God anymore. It's because the gang member had come, hunted him down. His life just went downhill. I said, it's okay. He believes in you. I said, how about this? I said, you come to my church, and if you don't encounter God, you don't ever have to believe in him again, and you can carry out your plans. And... Uh, He's like, okay, we're coming. I thought, oh, my God, what did we say? So we are praying over the pillows. We're praying over the blankets. 
It's so funny, later on, he's like, did you pray over that whole room? I'm like, you know I did. He's like, I knew something was up. <clears throat> so we're praying. And so his wife, she hadn't been able to get out of bed. She was on disability. Um, he can't even walk up the steps. He's in so much pain. He, oh, I mean, this was an athletic guy. You know, he's about 10 years younger than me. Can't even get up the steps. And he finally gets up the steps. And his wife walks in the house, and all of the sickness leaves her. I mean, she was dark circles and just, you know, it all lifts off of her. And uh, he's like, Jim, you must think I'm making this up. He's like, I, he's like, this is the woman I married. He's like, I've got my wife back. And so um, he ends up, uh, he came up another time. And he, he, so, okay. So he comes to our church and I'm preaching a message on strongholds. I'm thinking, oh God, like this is like the worst message. It's nailing him. So then a couple of our people catch him and start prophesying over him. And so he's freaking out. He's like, what is this? So he gets home, and he's in the shower. And as he's in the shower, he has an open vision of the prophecy that they said over him. He's like, oh, my God, what's happening? So he goes into, he goes to bed, get in bed, and it gets under the covers. And the dog barks three times. And when the dog barked, blue lightning appeared in front of them and shot into his neck. And his neck gets completely healed. And so he calls me up, and I'm just like, yes. So he gives his life back to the Lord, and um, he comes back up, and no, no, yeah, yeah, so he comes back up, and we take him to a Bill Johnson meeting in Cleveland, and we got separated, we weren't even sitting together, and Bill Johnson's doing that whole metal thing, you know, have you got metal in your body? And, uh, and then we watch him um, step up, and he's the first one up there to give the healing testimony, he's up there testifying, he's moving his neck all around, and uh, he's hugging Bill Johnson, and I'm like, this is happening. This is our, this is our Jose, you know. And so, um, yeah. So his brother, um, I'm not gonna say his name. He's uh, he's just he's been in a dark place for a long time, and he married a woman who was nuts. She was demon possessed, and uh, they were homeless, and they were getting ready to have their kids taken away. And uh, they asked me if I'd go to court with them. And so he's there in my suit, and she's. <laughs> She had, Mary had, like, you know, we, we used to go to this church where you had to wear, like, you know, suits, and, like, the woman had to wear, like, the, the girl suits, you know, like, the, the skirts. So she had on Mary's, but somehow she, like, G'd it up. So, like, she had, like, a G-string, like, hanging out of the thing. I'm like, how did this nice, conservative, beautiful suit, it was, like, a bra and, like, cleavage and, like, a G-string? I'm like, what happened to Mary's, like, pastor's wife's suit? Like, what, how did it get turned into that, you know? So we're at the, I'm at the courtroom. He's got my suit on. She's got Mary's suit on, and they're... They're saying we're going to take away the kids. I said, unless there's anyone here who's willing to bridge the gap between when they can get housing. And I said, um, I said I'll do it. And um, they said, you know what this means? I said, I don't know what it means. And, um, and they said, we're going to have to send an agent to your house. You're going to have to inspect the house, make sure it's this and this. So I called up Mary, and I said, babe, um, so-and-so, the mom and dad and the kids are going to come live with us. There's going to be an agent there in 45 minutes. I need the house ready. And uh, she said, it'll be ready. I thought, you know, I married the right girl. Never complained. And uh, these kids were rough. They were uh, beating our kids up. They were, they were rough kids. And uh, the, the brother, he, just a genius level intellect, just artistic and poetic and just would blow you away. He's so talented. And uh, he had never seen... Our marriage and the way we parented our kids began to ravish him with the kingdom of God. And uh, I can remember staying out on the deck and him saying, um, 
You know, I don't have any reason to believe in God, but if I did, I'd want the one that you have. And uh, they began bringing their other brothers to church, and we, you know, we give them money and different things. And it's interesting because here it is, you know, 20-something years later with these guys. You know, they've been in a relationship with them a long time now, uh, maybe 15, 20, whatever. And, you know, they'll, uh, they'll private message me on Facebook now. And it's like, um, hey, I'm, it's kind of like I'm still not believing, but don't give up on me type of stuff. And so I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't consider myself an evangelist but at all, but um, I think that there's something to the gospel of the kingdom and us having a church full of disciples, of people who look like Jesus. So when people come in, they actually get a preview of the coming attractions. That's all I got. All right.